we're, we're coming to our passage in Philippians this morning. And as, as we come to this passage, as we're looking at it, I, I'm encouraged and excited for what we're going to look at. I, I am confident that this morning your hearts are, are going to be challenged. I, I'm confident that our, our spirits are going to be convicted. But as we look at, at these words of Scripture, I'm also excited because I am sure that we will bolster your faith, your fervor for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer this week as I have gone through studying and preparing is that as we look at God's word this morning, it, it would forge us together more as the family of God. We're looking at three straight to the point, powerful verses this morning in Philippians chapter 1 as we finish up the first chapter. I would encourage you to turn in your copies of God's Word to Philippians 1 verse 27 as we read. Paul continues on as he writes this letter to them and he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you. And that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Three verses. And I, and I really, as I came to Philippians, I, I considered last week whether I should combine our, our passage last week with this one or, or look at this, one, this, this portion alone. And I, I really felt that we needed to look at this, these three verses, just in themselves. As, as the Philippians would have uh, read this letter, there is a single Greek word that is used here that we translate, conduct yourselves. The, the people of Philippi would have understood this Greek word, which meant live as citizens. Conduct yourself. Live as citizens. And in, in Philippi, the, the believers there would have understood this citizenship in, in a very powerful way. Remember, Philippi is a Roman province. Those who live in Philippi, those who were Philippians, were Roman citizens. And you're like, okay. Most of us take citizenship for granted. 
And I know right now on the news that citizenship and, and all of that is, is all over the place. But citizenship, especially in this time, meant something. To be a Roman citizen meant rights. You had rights others did not have. To be a Roman citizen was prestige and honor. You carried that closely. It was something guarded and valued. You were distinguished. There was almost a pride that you had being a Roman citizen. And you would let people know that. There was respect that was given to you as a Roman citizen. Remember, as we, we opened up this letter of Philippians, we look back into when, when Paul first came, Acts 16, to, to Philippi, and he was not given a proper trial. He was beaten without cause. And when they found out that Paul was that Roman citizen, citizen they were fearful. Because what the officials had done there to a Roman citizen was illegal. So much so that, that the town of Philippi could have been pulled from being a Roman colony. They were terrified. They wanted Ro Paul to get out of there. There was a respect that came with that. It was one of the highest honors. And we don't understand that, but the Philippians would have understand citizenship. Conduct yourselves, live as citizens, worthy of the gospel of Christ. As a Roman citizen, you would not live like a slave. You would not act like a slave. The comparisons as we look and consider you and I being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Brought in by the paid blood of Jesus Christ. As, as we consider that, Jesus himself says, and Paul says in his letters, and Peter and others declare that we are not to live as slaves to sin. God has set us free. Jesus Christ has set us free from that lifestyle. You no longer live that way. We've, we've lost the idea of, of citizenship. And honestly, in America, that idea is, is getting blurrier and blurrier each, each day. What does that look like? Essentially, there was an expected conduct. If you were a Roman citizen, there was an expected conduct of you, how you lived, how you act, and you should live up to that. Conduct is something we don't talk about. We've, we've lost the idea of, of conducting ourselves in a certain manner. In fact, we have almost, in the church, just said, no, no, no. It's interesting. Think about these areas, these areas in our lives where we have expected conduct. My son's playing football this season. And 
It's been really fun. It's, it's gr- giving me some great illustrations for this message this morning. Okay, but, but watching him play is, is fun, but you know what? The game day is not football. That's, that's what we get to enjoy and see. But for him to be a part of that football team, there is an expected conduct. In fact, one of his coaches is here. Mike's here this morning, okay? And, and Mike has an expected conduct of his players. He expects them, I know this is going to shock you, to function as a team. I know. Weird. Believe it or not, he has the audacity to expect his players to show up to practice. Really? I didn't expect this to be the funny part, honestly. I just, but it's, when you put it this way, it is funny. He expects his players to do well. He looks at them. You know, They come off the field. They're like, Coach, did you see that? He's like, yeah, next time let's try to do this, this. And they're like, he wants them to do better. How dare a coach expect a player to do better, to do more. To work harder. Coaches these days. He expects them to play hard. To play in such a way that they win. Now they may not win every game, but he expects them to play like they're going to win. From start to the last second of the game. You're like, well, okay, we get that. We're okay and actually even comfortable with conduct on a football team. In fact, some of you are TiVoing right now or recording the Bronco game, and you expect a certain level of conduct, and some of us have been very disappointed in that conduct. All right? But we're comfortable with that. As an American, there is an expected level of conduct. I'm not going to get political this morning. That's not why we're here. But do you realize as an American, even with all the, the struggles and trials that we are seeing in our nation, the division, you and I still live in a very privileged nation. And I know that there is, is just, there's, there's this torn aspect in, in believers today about elections and all of this kind of stuff. I'm not going to stand here and tell you who to vote for, what party to vote for. I will tell you that this right here is the standard. To consider what God's Word says, look at those individuals that we have the privilege of voting into or out of office. And don't allow your political party to be the standard. Allow God's Word to be the standard. And where do they line up closest with God's Word? And I would encourage the church to vote for those who line up closest with 
the standard. There's my political speech for you. Because as an American, we not only have the right to vote, we have the privilege and responsibility. And church, that includes us. We have missionaries in other countries right now that do not have that freedom. One of our missionaries, due to recording, I won't say his name, is potentially looking at prison because of the lack of those freedoms and privileges. There's an expected conduct as an American. What about family? And I would say this one is probably starting to drift away, but when you grow up in a family, there is an expected conduct in that family. If you are part of the Johnston household, there is an expected conduct that we, we have. Believe it or not, we expect our kids to wash their dishes after a meal. It's expected in our home. If you are going to live there, you're going to contribute to the family. You're going to help out with the family. We actually give up other things outside to contribute and be there for one another. Because we do that as a family. We represent our name well, or we strive to. I let our children know, hey, when you go and do something really stupid, that reflects on the Johnston name. When I go and do something stupid, that reflects on them. As a family, we have to remember that we represent not just ourselves, but the whole. What we do and say impacts others. And then there's the church family. Conduct. An expected conduct in church family? Whoa, Pastor Jed, you have just crossed the line right there. We have salvation by grace. In grace alone. Absolutely. There is nothing you and I can do to earn the salvation that Jesus Christ paid the price for. That does not mean, however, that God does not have expectations for his family. For his church. Expected ways that you and I are to live. We are not brought into the citizenship of heaven without an expectation of how we are to live. It's interesting that something as, and please don't, people are going to hear me wrong on this, but unimportant as football, in light of eternity, people are comfortable with conduct. But when it comes to the very family of God, the church, the body of Christ, and we say there's some expected conduct, people bristle. There's pushback. How dare you tell me how I should live? First of all, I'm not. God's word is, okay? But believe it or not, in the conduct of the church... There's an expectation to, to participate. 
shocking to do your part. It's funny, we laughed at, at that football, and now we're like, whoa, you're getting really serious here, Pastor. There's no chuckling because you know what? Sometimes we don't see this. As the church, we're expected to work together. We're expected to engage. Not just sit in a chair or a pew or whatever. There's an expectation to engage, participate. Just like you would on a football team, know the plays, know what you're to do. Guess what? God wants you to know what to do. His will is not hidden, by the way. You can go through the scriptures. Thus, the will of God, the will of God. He tells you what his will is for your life. He doesn't tell you every detail of the plan, thank goodness. But his will is in there. And it's clear. You know, there's something I've told my boys since the time they could walk. I've expected of them, and this may shock you, but from the moment they could walk, I expected them to hold the door open for their mother. Now, some doors they couldn't get right away, but now they're, they're taller than I am, no problem. But that is an expectation. If you are my son, you do that. And I've told them from the very beginning, you don't do it because of who the person is. You don't do it because it's your mother. You don't do it because it's, it's a, um, your elder. You don't do it because it's a woman. You do it because of who you are. It's interesting, so much in the church, in the body of Christ, we, we get the impression that we do it to impress others because of who's around us. Rather than doing what we do, the conduct by which we live because of who we are. Paul uses a word to define the type of conduct you and I should have. The word is worthy. You and I should have a conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actions lived out that is worthy of declaring Jesus Christ with our lives. Think about what worthy means. For something to be worthy, it's placing value or worth on something. Does your life place value and worth on the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's an importance there. To be worthy is making sure something is fit for the task, safe or sufficient. We, we know about it with, with sea vessels. We say, is that, that vessel worthy of the ocean? No, it has holes in it. It's going to sink. Well, don't take it out there. 
Is your life, is the conduct in your life worthy of the gospel? Or are there holes that need to be repaired to make it fit for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Think about that, that word, worthy. Consider how Paul defines a worthy walk. I, I love that we, we have some of these verses, and some of these verses are like list. How many of you like list? I'm a list person, and man, when Scripture says, here's a list, I'm like excited. Until I think about the implications of having to follow that list. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul gives an amazing list of a worthy walk. He begins, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. That's a strong statement there. Imploring, beg, pleading. I, I, I'm asking you with everything I have. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also we're called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. There is not a clearer passage on how to walk worthy. And Paul, as he is writing these Philippian believers, he is challenging them to do so, to have a conduct that is worthy. I love that definition of worthy. That's a good list to strive for, wouldn't you say? It's a challenge to the Ephesian believers, Philippian believers, and you and I to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Both to the Ephesians and Philippians, Scripture's challenges to do this by standing firm. That's how Ephesians ends, is stand firm. Paul, as he's writing, is, is, is challenging them to stand firm. The standing firm, it's, it has the idea of contending as one man. I'm going to go back to football. This last Monday at the game, they were right, on the, right at the end zone. They handed the ball off to the guy. He ran into this crowd of other players as all the other... I watched this, and even my own son, they all watched, stood back and watched to see if he'd go in. He didn't. I mean, he just... <laughs> down. Coach called the timeout. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to stand firm. What, not move? No, stand firm. Contend as one man. I don't know what the coach said, actually. I, I doubt that that was the verbiage there, but I don't know. He said something to those players. They got back out on the field, and all of a sudden, you saw the entire team hand the ball to the guy. Everybody got behind that guy and pushed him. Guess what? They went in the end zone. 
It's amazing what happens when you contend as one man. It's a beautiful picture of standing firm, doing this together. You're starting to see a theme here, right? Good, I hope so. And Paul wants to hear and see these things in the Philippian believers. He wants to to see some things about him and hear some things about him that shows him that they are standing firm, contending as one together in the faith. Things heard about you. Have you ever thought about what's heard about you? This is the only point in the message where I'm going to ask you to think about you. What do others in this community, at your workplace, your, your neighborhood, maybe even this fellowship, what do they hear about you? What's stated about you? I'll let you ponder that for a moment. What is the reputation that you are known for? In any given circle, What is your reputation? When we think hearing of, we think of gossip sometimes. I've learned that sometimes there's some little nuggets of truth in gossip. But if I went to anybody, and I could choose anybody who knows you, and I asked them to describe you, What words would they use? What descriptions would they use? What about seen? What actions on a day-to-day basis do people see in you? And I apologize for the screens flickering back here. What's lived out in your life What is your response to situations and circumstances, both good and bad, that people see? What's your example? What is your example? Think about this. And if you've grown up in church, you've heard this before, but if you were the only gospel, the only Bible people would read, what would your life say? And first of all, if, if all they're seeing is actions and they're not hearing anything, it's, it's a poor testimony. But would your words reflect and repeat the words of Scripture? Would your actions declare as an example of salvation and the gospel message? As believers, we need to stand firm. Contend as one in both what people see and hear. Paul addresses first standing firm in unity. Did you notice the verbiage that he used? One spirit. You and I, as we enter into the family of God, 
the Holy Spirit himself comes to indwell you and I. Working in us and through us together. I want to take you to the prayer that Jesus prayed. I referenced it last week. I'm going to reference a different part this morning. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for you. Did you know that? And as he prays, he prays for our unity. 17 verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of the disciples that were there with him, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be all may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Conduct worthy of declaring Jesus Christ in our unity. Verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given them, to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What a prayer. You know how many times I have turned to chapter 17 in John just to be reminded of Jesus praying for me, for you? Paul goes on with one mind. Now I understand you and I are not going to think the same about everything. God has created us unique and different. We come together. But our minds should be unified on Christ. On the things that Christ has said. The way that God has directed you and I to live, we should have that mind as one. Paul, later in his letter to them, will write, think on these things. That we have to engage our minds in this, this coming together and be standing firm together. We don't engage in this mindlessly. Striving together. Verse 28 says, Do not be alarmed by your opponents. Did you know that there are opponents out there? In football, there's an opponent. They're always right in front of you. And every time that opponent is trying to stop your progress. And the church has an opponent. It says, do not be alarmed. That being alarmed is do not be scattered, do not be broken up. There's a beautiful picture that illustrates this beautifully. Show that picture. There it is. Notice the lion is chasing the weaker individual zebra. Now, 
I don't know a lot about wildlife and all of that, but I know that that lion would prefer that one over trying to go into the herd. Because uh, you can go on YouTube and watch videos of a herd of lions, or a herd of lions, <laughs> I think not, a herd of zebras killing a lion when it went right into the middle. Yeah, and he, he regretted that one. But he looks for that lone one. This is a beautiful picture of those who say, I've trusted Christ, but I don't need the church. Really? That's not what God said. I'm going to leave that up for just a little bit. The things in which people see and hear of you impacts and represents the group as a whole. You recognize this is still a zebra, don't you? You're like, well, that was kind of foolish of him to go out there all by himself like that. The other zebras are going, oh, no. Why wouldn't he just stay close? You know, our Western mindset or worldly mindset, maybe both, I don't know. But in that mindset, we have made things very individualized. It's much more comforting that way. Salvation is an individual decision, and it is. You get to choose whether you place your faith in Jesus Christ or not. But that decision will impact others around you. Spiritual growth has become individual. We have self-help books. Self-study guides, self-this, self-that. So you don't need anybody else. Spiritual growth has become individualistic. Worship has become individualistic. I will just listen on the radio. I will download that CD. I will play this. I will listen to that speaker on, on my time. That's perfectly good. But if that is your soul worship, just you, that's not healthy. Prayer has even become individualistic. I have a great need that is burdening my heart, weighing down my shoulders, but I will not share with anyone. I will just talk to God alone. And yes, He can, he can hear that. He will work through that, absolutely. But God said that prayer is to be a corporate thing. We pray for one another. Well, how do you pray for one another if no one knows how to pray for you? So self-focused. I've even heard statements of individuals who are bold enough to say, I am the church. Really? No. No, you're not. You are a part of the church. You, in and of yourself, are not the church. Get over yourself. We are the church. 
We are the body of Christ. It would be like my nose saying, I am the body. Really? See, we have become so individualistic in our mindset and our thinking that we have failed to realize that we need to be the church. God says He's gifted some for this, some for that, some for this, so that the body can be built up. It is a coming together using those gifts, unifying, standing firm together. I'll be brief on the last part because we definitely need to stand together and stand firm in suffering. Paul says it has been granted. It has been gifted. It has been given as a privilege for you to suffer for Christ. This is not talking about the normal day-to-day sufferings, hardships, uh, economy, you know, inflation, all those things. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about those who are suffering for the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have brothers and sisters around this world, some even in this nation, who are suffering for the message and the stand of Jesus Christ. We love the first part, salvation that that comes through belief. It's been given to you, privileged to you, to enter into belief. Praise God, we love that. We love the idea that we are now a part of the family of God, that we are a child of God, that we are citizens of heaven. Praise God. But that's only part of it. Then you have the privilege to suffer. Next week we'll look a little more at the suffering. But this is not something new. Paul has spoken to almost every single church that we have letters to about suffering for Christ. Peter, in both of his letters, addressed suffering for Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, if you follow me, life is going to be wonderful. No. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will face hardships. They will hate you because they hated me. If you follow me, there will be suffering. And we enter into that suffering with joy. Paul closes coming full circle. The things you have seen and heard in me. He says, not only do I expect that of you, I expect you to look at me. The things you've heard of me, I expect you to look at my life, the actions that I have lived out. What an example. Does your life live as an example for other younger believers? To say, follow my example. The things you see in me, you do. The things you hear of me, follow. Because they align so close with what God's Word says. A conduct worthy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul writes them, encouraging them. He says, listen, it's worth it. As he sits in a prison cell, he says, it's worth it. 
to live a life worthy of the conduct of, of living for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a bold challenge. But don't you dare leave here today thinking you do this on your own. We do this together. So challenge one another. Build up one another. Every now and then convict one another. Are we standing firm together, contending as one for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it just seems easier to do it alone. Less complications, less heartache, less hurt feelings. Oh, but God, you have called us together. Lord, I pray that you would give us a boldness to stand firm. God, that you would use your church in such a way that we would declare the message with our lives, with our words, in a, in a way that people see you clearly. That they desire that relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your word and for the privilege of being a part of your family. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.